I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling, magnificent all round. Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang. A magnificent modern instalment of a great football rivalry. Fremantle ends Melbourne's unbeaten streak. The Gold Coast Suns just quietly achieving. And West Coast, they've been woeful and it's only getting worse. Hello and welcome to the Alan Lingy Show. Cameron Ling, g'day to you. Hello, Al. Great to be with you. Well, yeah, you're right about that Carlton Collingwood clash. What a beauty that was. And what about Freo's third quarter? That was electric footy. I know Melbourne had to get a loss eventually, but the way in which Fremantle did it, that made it just that much better. It was terrific to watch. Yeah, absolutely. You were at a heaving MCG for that Sunday clash. 80,000 Carlton and Collingwood, the old rivalry. They haven't had too many close games in recent times, and they haven't sort of both been highly competitive either in recent times. So that had a lot in it yesterday, and and we'll go through that. But um, that must have been some sort of atmosphere. Yeah, it was. Uh, I know we always start off on this show with sort of what caught my eye, and that was the big one for me. The, The passion and the joy and the excitement and the ups and downs of the crowd was just incredible, Al. It, it, it was probably the first time I felt fully back at the footy. Maybe it was because I was on the boundary for Channel 7 and I was actually down outside rather than behind the glass corner, but it just... It felt amazing. It felt right from the start of the game like it was a crowd that was right into the game. Even a little bit of a scuffle, the players near the boundary off that jarring Taylor Adams tackle, it was a ripper. They were into it and they were up and there was the oohs and ahs of umpiring decisions. And then when Carlton made their late charge and Charlie Kernow just delivered another bomb from outside and all those tense moments you could really sense the crowd playing its part in it. So it was fantastic to be there. And a good Carlton-Collingwood game always needs a bit of drama, a bit of controversy as well, doesn't it? Uh, You think Wayne Harms back in 1979. Well, what about Sam Walsh at the end, Lingy? Let's go straight to the controversy. Free kick, yay, nay? It it was there. It was a free kick. Um, But in that sort of mass of bodies and fast pace and things going everywhere... I'll never hang an umpire for missing that one. Um, uh, it's just one they missed, I, I, I've got to assume, because it was there. I thought it was a free kick. Um, but they're, they're the hard ones for the umpires. The, the ones we get frustrated at at times is where it's a one-on-one or a you know, really obvious one, good line of sight, and what were they thinking? But in that sort of crush of players and everyone going everywhere... I simply put that down to just a missed one and a, and a really unlucky one for Carlton. 
While we're on the topic, I suppose, let's just quickly address then the Friday night one and the no 50-metre penalty decision when Chad Warner booted the ball into the stands when he heard the siren, albeit the umpire had paid a free kick to Dion Prestia. They used the common sense application of the rules according to the AFL there. What did you make of that? Yeah, so what, what was the classes? Umpire discretion. Uh, uh, so if that can come into play, Al, if umpire discretion can come into play across all decisions, you know what, I'm quite comfortable. I'm fine with that because, yes, an umpire determines things. Okay, it was a split second, lots of crowd noise, didn't hear the whistles, an out-of-umpire, out-of-area umpire paying the free kick. Umpire discretion says it's the right decision. My only query, Al, is since when have umpires actually been allowed to have some discretion? Because if we think to the dissent rule, it is, no, they should pay everything where any player puts his arms out. It's got to be either 50 or not 50. Arms are out, it's 50. Arms not out, it's not 50. So is, are we allowed to mm. allow umpires that discretion? I, I want them to have it because I think that was the right decision that was arrived at. But by the rules, to the letter of the law, it should have been 50 metres and Dion Presti should have been having a shot to draw the game. But if, if, we're say, allow, if we're going watching. to allow them to have discretion, Al, then cool, let them have that across other decisions as well. And if they think it's a respectful interaction with dissent, then don't pay a 50-metre penalty. Well, that almost seems to be what's happening now, Lingy, because I've never seen a more clear-cut example of the hands-out dissent than from Caleb Graham in Darwin on Saturday night, and the umpire didn't pay a 50-metre penalty. And there was nothing verbally abusive or aggressive in the way he was behaving. But based on what we've seen all season, it had to be a 50-metre penalty and it wasn't paid. And it was yet another glaring example of the inconsistency in the rule. Watching the Richmond-Sydney game on Friday night, I have to say my instinct just told me that has to be 50 straight away when I saw what Chad Warner did. I can understand the frustration of Richmond fans. They would have only drawn the game. And I think it was right that Damien Hardwick in the aftermath basically accepted that, yes, while that was an aspect of what took place, it, it wasn't the telling story of the night. The fact was that Richmond had been well up and had been run down and beaten. So um, a little tweet later on might have suggested he wasn't a big fan of common sense rules <laughs> and discretion being applied, Lingy, but um, in the moment... He doesn't, he doesn't mind a late-night tweet. He, yeah. If, my advice to anyone would be just to keep an eye on Damien Hardwick's Twitter feed sort of two hours after... Every match, you might get some little piece I, of gold there. I've always got to wonder if it's in the once he's calmed down, maybe just a, a nice glass of red or a nice cold beer sitting on the couch thinking, Now, you know, I wanted to say this in the post match press conference, I'm just going to fire it off there. And that's the old one <laughs> we've all been through it out. If we've had those one or two drinks, there should be a little lock on you phone doesn't allow you to send anything out <laughs> no no i think you're very acceptable you know very enjoyable to uh to take a look at what caught my eye was the performance of the gold coast suns in darwin on saturday night i've been critical of the suns and their inability to build something of real meaning first time i've seen them live and, and walked away in a long long time where i thought to myself there's there's something here they are there's something substantial that's building here and you can see it in the actions of all the players on the ground and their complete commitment to the way they took apart Hawthorne in that game from the word go. And even when they were well up and it was clearly game over, their relentlessness all the way to the finish of the game, Lingy, was outstanding, I thought. Their tackles inside the attacking 50, 
the pressure they put on Hawthorne around the ball. Yes, they had Jared Witts with a huge advantage in ruck. He's the best ruckman in the competition. More hitouts to advantage than anyone. Hawthorne didn't have an established ruckman. But at the same time, it was right across the board that Gold Coast dominated that game. And uh, Joel Jeffrey in the flesh, um, as much as I've loved observing him from afar, he is a genuine excitement machine. So for a player in his infancy in terms of his AFL career to be so exciting so soon, there's a bit about the Gold Coast Suns that I didn't necessarily think was there. And if you think about their last four weeks as well, to beat Sydney at the SCG, to beat Fremantle at home at Carrara, and then a narrow loss to to the Western Bulldogs when the Bulldogs just got away with it late in Ballarat to follow up with that performance against Hawthorne and win by 67 points. I reckon there are some really encouraging signs there for Stuart Jew's team. Yeah, good pick up, Al, because the, the next evolution of them is they've won some hard-fought games and some good opposition, as you say. They were close in, in defeat and, and really brave in defeat of the Dogs. To go out and beat an opposition that they are now proving that they're better than right now and smack them. That's the next part. Not just not just a hard-fought 10 or 12-point win against a Hawthorne team. They smacked them all around the ground, took the game away from them early, and as you said, went for the kill big time. That's a really exciting part of their evolution. Um, and Stewie Jew, credit to him, because he's had a lot of that swirling external noise about the way they were going, Alistair Clarkson, the AFL's going to back the truck up and dump a pile of money on his driveway to get, get him up to the Suns. His job, Stewie Dew's going to lose his job for Clarkson, all of that. He's pushed that all aside and he's got his team playing brilliant footy. Really, really well done. Yeah, and selfless footy and everyone buying in as well, Lingy, and um, players that are not necessarily at the top end talent-wise, but are, are really improving under Stuart Dew. And, what about the acquisition of Levi Casbold? He didn't have a huge night, but geez, a presence forward. Marby or Chole having moved to the Gold Coast Suns has been a superb acquisition for them as well. So, And this is all without Ben King in the lineup too. Uh, no Jack Lacocious for them at the moment. So encouraging signs. I don't think ultimately they're going to quite be able to make the eight based on... It's a relatively favourable run home for them, but I just think they're coming from a little bit too far back, but let's wait and see on that. They do appear, though, they're capable of winning 10 or 11 games this season. I'm not sure that's necessarily where the club expected to be. They felt like this year was a finals year for them, but I think they're showing some encouraging signs. Let's go to Fremantle and Melbourne because that's the yeah. story of the weekend. Um, Melbourne going under the name of Nam for the last couple of weeks, which was a nice touch during Sir Doug Nichols' Indigenous round. We're well on top of Fremantle for a half. And then the clearance dominance of the Dockers in the third quarter, Lingy. Eight goals they kicked and absolutely turned the game on its head. Clayton Oliver was shut down by James Aish. This was such a fantastic performance from a Fremantle side that had been thoroughly outplayed for a couple of weeks and their form had started to wane a little bit. I didn't see this coming, to be honest. No, I didn't either, Alan. And I think the most impressive part for me was the fact that it wasn't where Fremantle turned up raring and ready to go and they were firing and Melbourne were just off and you could clearly see so many wins in a row. They were, they were struggling right from the start and Fremantle jumped them and they get the win. It, it wasn't that. It was a sharp Melbourne team and a re- Melbourne playing some really high quality in that first half and, and looking like, well, this is just business as usual. They were, they were playing great footy. So 
for the opposition to be the best team in the competition and to start the game quite well and, and have that real run and the, the dominance around the ball and everything that, that Melbourne's renowned for, for the Frio to then flip that completely on its head, make some tactical moves, like you said, with, with Clayton Oliver being shut away by, the, by Aish and, and the way they got control of the game in the area of the game that Melbourne is outstanding at and were outstanding at on the night, and then to not just flip it on its head, but to completely rip it away from Melbourne. I mean, that was so impressive. The speed with which they play is really dangerous and, and it, fantastic to watch. But you can't play with that speed and ball movement on the outside if you're not getting your knees dirty as well and winning that contest and getting the game generated from there. So they've got the balance going beautifully both ways. And, and because they've got that, then their dangerous forwards and their um, electric players on the outside can, can go to work. Um, mm. and, and you look at that, you look at that Melbourne midfield, it still had stars everywhere and quality Ruckman and everyone. I, I mean, no Melbourne fans are going to say, yes, but we lost Stephen May. That was a huge loss. So yes, yep, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll take that argument. But this is still, supposedly, and, and still currently is, the best team in the competition. If you lose Stephen May in a game, I thought they would be able to comfortably cover that and just patch things up and still handle it because of the situation they were in. Um, so, well, I, 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 every single week, Al, I was taking Fremantle more seriously. I thought this little lull was, okay, maybe they're getting a little bit tired. But watching them on Saturday night, I have to take them super serious. It's not just a team that might scrape into the top four and won't that be a nice run. This is a team that could do something completely out of the blue this season and they could win it. You think they could win it? Yeah, you're prepared to go that far with, with well, Frio. Look at, it, look at who they've beaten now mm. this year. They've beaten some of the very best teams in the competition. They've, they play with a style that, it's just first class. It's hard and it's tough inside. It's incredible on the outside. It's sound defensively. It's got multiple forward line options. I mean, Tabiner only only kicked two goals on the weekend. Lobb stepped up and kicked a few. Schultz was ter- obviously terrific with his bag of goals. Why not? I, I get that it might be a year early or it might be two years early and, and it might peter out towards it. And all of those arguments can be, can be made, sure. But we, the way we've watched them in this first half of the year and the teams that they've beaten, why not? Yeah. And their ball use had been a bit of a problem the last few weeks. That was much better. They are so sound defensively. Yeah, Melbourne didn't have Stephen May for the bulk of the match. Ed Langdon didn't play and Petrarca was ill. But that doesn't account for the way Fremantle completely picked Melbourne apart in that second half. When Melbourne is so sound defensively, yes, you lose Stephen May, but it doesn't account for the way that they were so soundly beaten. So you had to take notice of that. And Brisbane and Fremantle are playing each other in round (laughs) 12 as well, Lingy. So that's going to be such a good game. Um, Brisbane's got an eight-day break ahead of that game in Perth. Can't wait for that one. Uh, The Lions, though... Yes, another win for Brisbane and they're chalking them up and they're nicely inside the, the top four at the moment. But they've conceded 117 and I think it was 96 points on the weekend in the last two games. So as much as 
they bounced back from that shock loss to Hawthorne and found a way to win despite being well down early against GWS when Brisbane just looked so off early in that game. Mm-hmm. Defensively, is there still a bit of a worry about the Lions from your perspective? Oh, there's a little something happening. I still think it's, it's generated a lot through the middle of the ground when teams can get a fair share of their ball. They can, they can get through. Brisbane, with McCluggage not there at the moment, they are still Lockie Neal reliant. And, I mean, he was superb again. He's just having a brilliant season. What do you have, 39 disposals mm. and kick two goals? I love the fact that he, he, he gets the footy, but he has impact footy. He gets clearances and he gets goals. Um, it, it comes back to the point that we often talk about here, Al, and, and Liam Shields showed it last week in the Hawthorne second half. Keeping Lockie Neal to eight or nine touches in a half of footy, Hawks win the game. Brisbane are so reliant on Lockie Neal through the middle. And he's so good that he more often than not produces. But I just wonder if a team, come finals, come a huge game, could lock Lockie Neal away and keep him to 22, you know, scrappy possessions. Where else does Brisbane generate that? And if they can't generate that drive and dominance through the middle without him and no one else jumps in there, then you start looking at those defensive numbers and that the scores that you're talking about. You start thinking, oh, hang on a second. There's maybe six more inside 50s to the other team because Neil's not there. And that might lead to a score of over 100 points again. So, yeah, just a couple of little question marks for Brisbane. However, apart from last week, that bit of a shock loss, they do keep banking the wins and they yep. can manage some players and they can get some players back. So they're in a terrific position, but just those little questions keep bobbing up every now and then for the Lions. Jared Berry, you said, if not Lockie Neal, who else last week on the program? Well, Jared Berry, who sort of had a little bit of indifferent form, he had a cracking game on the weekend, particularly in the first half when Brisbane hadn't been playing at its best. He was a key part of that midfield for Brisbane. Eric Hipwood starting to look like He's moving well again, impacting games again on the back of uh, his return from the knee injury. And Dev Robertson caught the eye. He's another youngster out of Western Australia who looks like he, he might be able to become a, a pretty handy player for Brisbane, along with Rayner, who went to the middle more yeah, as well. Like Lingy, if he can keep doing that and keep impacting the game in the way that he did, yeah, he's a, he's a huge player for the Brisbane Lions going forward. He's the one, Al. He is the one. And, and it's been a build and it's a slowish build. I know he's had injuries, so that's held that build back. Maybe it's a year early-ish to be calling this, but that leap, remember, remember there were a couple of years in a row where we Christian Petrarca, oh, hang on, he, he's been getting better, but is he really going to make that giant leap? And yeah. then he made it and then he made it again and it really went to a whole new level. If Rainer's trajectory can go somewhere near that, he doesn't need to be Petrarca right now because that's a huge, huge leap. But if he can be Petrarca of two years ago when he was basically All-Australian as well, that, I mean, that makes a huge difference. Then you've got Neil, Rainer. As you said, you've got Berry maybe making a bit of a jump. You've got McCluggage, who you know will eventually come back into that team as an A-grade player. Then you've got the look of a, a big four type thing and, and Rainer will be forward, but also be able to go on ball. He's the big one for me. 
Collingwood and Carlton, let's move to that game at the MCG Lingy where we already mentioned how great the atmosphere was. Went down to the wire in the ends. Firstly, your favourite player in the AFL, Mason Cox, produced one of his <laughs> eye-catching performances that do happen far too infrequently. Lingy, did, do you at least have to concede that he was a pretty key part of the victory yesterday? He was, he was good yesterday. It wasn't exactly his preliminary final performance in 2018. He was, he was okay. Took some good grabs. Kicked, you know, did his job. Um, and, and they did gain an advantage, I think, when he was in the ruck. But the second ruckman for Carlton was Jack Silvani or Paddy Cripps, um, often at the, the repeat uh, ball-ups around the ground and De Koning was pushing forward. Um, so let's not go jumping up and down too much about Mason Cox. But yeah, he was good. He was good. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be. He, he delivered on in a big game for the Pies. Um, I was super impressed with Josh Dacos. I thought when, he was the one who who got them going from an energy perspective, a ball use. He just break a line or two. Didn't have. I you know, didn't that need to have thirty possessions. But I think Josh Dacos was really important, and that. The wily veteran he is now still side bottom. Just his work up and down that wing and then a couple of times appeared inside forward 50 at just the right time in just the right space. Um, he was crucial for them. Uh, it, was, it was a really impressive performance by Collingwood. They took away a little bit of Carlton's strengths. They, they were able to break even pretty well around the clearances. They, they stemmed Carlton's damaging ball use that we've seen at times this year blast teams off the park. Um, it was really well coached by Craig McRae and really well executed by the players. Yeah. Um, Ollie Henry's showing a few signs in that forward line as well, that he's a, quite a capable goal kicker and a, a really good mark as well. So he's a sort of a relatively new addition to that Collingwood side, only with maybe 10, 20 games under his belt. Uh, Jordan Degoe, very good again yesterday, Lingy. And it looks like he's going to stay at Collingwood unless some sort of Enormous offer comes from elsewhere. Collingwood's got a bit of a difficult thing with its with its salary cap still and some heavy money committed to players like Grundy and also Darcy Moore, who signed that lucrative six-year deal. But immediately, Degoe plays well and start... Uh, you hear chatter again about $900,000 deals, $850,000 deals. You, you've never been convinced that that's the kind of money he should command. No. No way, Al. Dusty Martin can command that money. Buddy Franklin can command that money. I mean, the, you've got to be the very, very best in the competition and you've got to be producing nearly every single game and you've got to be producing in big games and big moments. And I just haven't seen it enough. And, and yeah, Geordie was, was good yesterday. I reckon he had big chunks of that game where he was quiet, but then he, he was able to have an impact. So that's, Fantastic step. I don't want this to come across as negative and I don't rate Jordan Degoe at all. I do. I like him. But he's with the money that players are, are paid now and some players are on ridiculous money compared to their output. Pay him, I don't know, $700,000, $750,000 a year. Sure, that's what, that's what players get these days. But don't pay him $900,000 or a million dollars a year. He has not produced that consistently enough for me. As a forward, he's just over a goal a game forward. As a midfielder, he has not been a consistent, high-impact midfielder. 
you look at if you want to talk about Lockie Neal like we were before, Lockie Neal has proven that he can do it in the midfield game after game after game and play incredible football. Petrarca delivered, sure. Clayton Oliver delivers, sure. No worries. All of these players, Degali hasn't done that yet for me, so don't pay him in the hope that he might do it. Pay him in the for the form that he's produced, which is a damaging player at times who can have a moment or two and can turn a game. Fantastic. So pay him $700,000 a year. That's what you should pay for someone like that, not nine hundred to a million. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. You, you would have to think that he's going to need to accept somewhere around that figure if Collingwood is to keep him. Um, interesting to see whether another club comes knocking with a substantial offer to try and lure him away. Really telling why, yesterday... Sorry. Why, why would... Like, if you're another club, though, why would you? Well, the impact players can have a, a, a big influence on the outcome of games. And if you're looking for that type of explosive, damaging player, even if they don't come off every single week, I think there would be teams certainly out there, Lingy, that would be pretty keen on a player like Degoe. With his versatility, capacity to go forward, win matches off his own boot potentially. I agree he hasn't done it consistently enough, but there are signs there that he can rip games apart. But And, and I, I hear what you're saying about impact players, and maybe it's unfair to compare him to Neil because Neil's an incredibly consistent player. As an impact player, it's got to be more than once every six or seven weeks. It's got to be once every three weeks. You, it, you, it might be a tight arm wrestle in a game and halfway through the third quarter, you have an eight-minute patch where you just completely flip the, the, the game around and it's in your favour. It's got to be more often. If you're going to pay that sort of money, it's got to be more often than, what, four times a season? Three times mm-hmm. a season? If, if I'm recruiting from the outside, unless I'm right in the perfect window of winning a premiership and I could plug somebody like that in and he's the exact player I need and I've got other things that can cover him for the other five or six weeks where he doesn't do a hell of a lot, you don't go and get him and build a team around that sort of player. You build it a, a, a different way. So... I don't know how many others there are. Even North Melbourne did it. I think it would be a silly decision. That's not the type of player they're going to build this build because they're nowhere near being able to add him as the cream on top. So what about a sure. St Kilda? No. 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 I mean... Richmond? Richmond, you're asking him to play what Shea Bolton's role. I'd, I'd rather keep backing Bolton in. Um, and you've still got Dusty who plays like that. Um, keep going with Bolton. You, you, can't have, you can't have three of those types of players who are going to play sort of pseudo mid, more forward half. And they don't do, let's be honest, they do not spend a single bit of petrol running defensively. That's why Richmond's system was so superb for the, their successful years. Was Kane Lambert all of this incredible work? Down Prestia did all of this amazing work so that Dusty could spend zero of his petrol defending and he could just be the most unbelievable weapon in the AFL as an offensive player. That's, that's just brilliant football. That's clever. That's not a shot at Dusty. That's just outstanding. Lionel Messi didn't spend a hell of a lot of time running defensively because he was the one who won Barcelona Champions League games. It, so it's brilliant. 
But you can't have three of those guys doing it, Al. You can't have Bolton, Martin, Dugowie all doing it. All right, Otherwise, let's no wipe Richmond. Defend. Okay. <laughs> uh, on to Jacob Wetteringlingy. And the influence of him not being there was very obvious in that match against Collingwood. Collingwood, 18 marks inside 50. Carlton already with a depleted defence. Oscar McDonald out for the year. Obviously, Mitch McGovern, who'd gone back there and started to play some decent football as a key tall in defence as well, not there. Liam Jones playing in Queensland at the moment. Obviously, can't be selected in the mid-season draft because the rules haven't changed around vaccination status as well. Thank you, Carlton, Al. I was going to query that. Carlton outside the top four now after that loss. I pose the question to you, can Carlton make the top four given it's likely Wiedering is going to miss a period of weeks? He'll go and see the surgeon this week, Michael Voss said, to ascertain whether that's the path that they need to go down with his shoulder. But he's going to miss a chunk of football. And we've talked all season about the fact that he is almost the player that Carlton cannot afford to lose, given those that have already gone down in that back line. I, he is a massive loss. He is so crucial to them. But I believe in Carlton. I believe that they play a sustainable type of football because they are so good around the contest and around clearances. I think coming into yesterday's game, they were ranked two in the competition in clearances. They've got a terrific midfield that I think is only going to improve as the year goes on. I don't reckon, I don't reckon Cherry's made the a big jump yet. He's still finding his feet a little bit. He can get better in that middle of the ground. I think Paddy Dow showed really good glimpses yesterday that he can have an impact in that middle of the ground. Kennedy comes back in, and then you've got absolute A-plus graders in, in Cripps and Walsh and George Hewitt's been split. So I think the reason I'm talking about the midfield rather than the defence is I think because they are such a good clearance team and so good in the contest, they can play a style of football that protects the back six. And, and they don't have to defend from really super fast middle-of-the-ground entries that the Carlton midfield can get the ball forward and then opposition are trying to go the length of the ground to attack and you can have allow a structure to be set up behind the ball. It won't be as rushed, it won't be as panicked. So they can cover it and scramble down back and maybe just go with a few different matchups and and you know a few people might have to play slightly taller than they normally would and play more a central defender role. It's it's not going to be perfect. They're going to be almost trying to buy themselves time to get Weedering back, and they might not they might not nail every single game. But I think they can cover it enough to win enough games while he's out to then welcome him back in, and they still they still finish top four. They are one of the clubs uh, with an opportunity to select at the mid season draft as well. And someone like Sam Durden, former North Melbourne player, now playing in the Sandfall, has been a player mentioned who could come in with a bit of size and potentially play a defensive role for the Blues given their players missing in that part of the ground at the moment. So, okay, Carlton's still in the frame. The top four is really interesting now, Lingy, I reckon, because Melbourne's obviously going to make the top four. I think Brisbane's obviously going to make the top four. And I think Fremantle almost is obviously going to make the top four. So it leaves one spot available. And if you look at the table at the moment... Occupying fourth is St Kilda. Carlton is fifth. Geelong is sixth. Then Sydney seventh and the Western Bulldogs eighth. I think you could still, and I'm not saying that this will happen, but you could still mount a case that the Western Bulldogs could challenge for the top four. And I think Friday night against Geelong will be so telling 
as to whether those teams, both of them are legitimate top four chances. It sort of has that significance riding on it for me. What do you reckon? Yeah, and you're right. That's a huge game. That is a monster game. To get a good indication, because I think Geelong have beaten, they beat a, a depleted and young Adelaide on the weekend and did enough. Tom Stewart was excellent. Jeremy Cameron was superb. Um, too much class, too much skill, home deck, easy win. Previous week against Port Adelaide, just did enough. Good football. Jeremy Cameron was the difference. Uh, it's a fairly um, familiar theme. But I haven't seen them really, really tested since that, um, I think, it was the St Kilda game before that. So St Kilda and Fremantle got them a little bit. So the last two weeks is maybe a little bit of false form from the Cats because I don't think they beat a lot in those two games or they just had the games fairly under control. So this Friday night's massive to tell me where Geelong is at. But also, you're right about the dogs. So they did what they had to do. They smashed a, um, a really disappointing West Coast Eagles. I don't even know what to say about the Eagles anymore. Um, but so have the dogs found something? Or are the Eagles just so woefully bad that that was always going to be 100 points? So Friday night tells us a lot. I just feel like, I feel like six, seven, eight of Geelong, Sydney dogs... Uh, are playing at the moment all about that same. Like, they're playing some good football, but have they got a gear where they can go to some really great football? Um, St Kilda, Carlton are probably just in a, in a little bracket above. Um, and then, I think, I mean, Melbourne is still clearly number one. There's still a gap. But Fremantle and Brisbane sit there quite comfortably together. I, I just feel a bit better about Carlton overall um, than Saints. But yeah, that could be fourth or fifth either way. Um, I, don't, I don't yet believe enough in the dogs to think they make a run to top four. But they could be a very dangerous fifth or sixth come the end of the yeah. year. And their run home is tricky as well, the Western Bulldogs, Lingy. So they've got Geelong, then they've got the bye, GWS and Hawthorne. So they should be in good shape to that point. Then they go to the Gabba to play Brisbane, Sydney at the SCG, St Kilda in Melbourne, Melbourne at Marvel, Geelong at Cadinia Park and Fremantle. And that matches at Marvel Stadium. So if they make the top four and give it a shake, they're potentially in premiership contention because the run of games that they will need to do well in to get there will show that they are a really, really good side if they can get through those matches. Yeah, I agree. The, the other name I, I didn't mention that run, and I'm not off them yet, even after Friday night, is Richmond. I think Richmond are still capable. And talk about, as soon as I said the Dogs could be a scary 5th, 6th, 7th type team, I reckon Richmond become a very scary team in the finals. If they get there and they get there with enough of their personnel and healthy, I yeah, they gave up a five-goal lead on Friday night, and I get that that wasn't great. But I still think they can do something and still playing some, some good footy. Uh, they, they just need personnel. I mean, they need Tom Lynch firing. They need their midfield um, back together a bit more. They need their defenders locked away. Um, yeah, I, I'm not counting them out. Uh, I think there's, you know, Melbourne are Melbourne. Are Melbourne. But... There's some dangerous teams come finals that play a certain way with enough good players that if you make finals, 
I reckon you're sitting there thinking, I don't really want to play Richmond in the finals. I don't really want to play the Bulldogs in the finals. And especially if that's first-time finals teams in a long time. So Fremantle and Carlton and these types of teams, even though they're playing better football than those experienced teams, is does funny things to you in September when you haven't had that finals experience and you come up and you're standing next to Dustin Martin, or you're standing next to Marcus Bontempelli, you might just start doubting yourself a little bit. Yeah, I reckon the same applies to St Kilda. I've got a growing belief in St Kilda as well, and their increasing level of dependability and their capacity to get the job done. Of course, they were expected to beat North Melbourne. They did it comfortably, but they've got some players in really good form, such a solid back line. Sinclair has had an amazing year. I'm sure he'll be in your All-Australian team at the end of the year, Lingy, the way that he's going. Midfield, more depth. Crouch is playing much better for them. Ross is in, in good nick as well. They're missing Steele, still getting the job done, and they've got some potency in the forward line. And clearly there's a, a real bond in that St Kilda team as well. I think that they are selfless in the way that they play, the way they run both ways. There's a commitment to their style of play and, and they're well coached clearly by Brett Ratton who's, who's got them believing, believing that they can achieve something this season. So, yeah, I think they're a really good side. Sydney as well. I don't think many sides would want to play Sydney in the mm. finals. They're capable of, of knocking over pretty much anyone as well. So it looks interesting to me. It almost looks like there are multiple teams fighting for one spot still in the top four and then at the bottom portion of the eight, seventh and eighth occupied by the Swans and the Western Bulldogs, then Richmond and Collingwood also on six wins are behind the Dogs on percentage. So they're just outside the eight. Port Adelaide and Gold Coast are five and six. I think they're just slightly too far back, those mm-hmm. two teams. And Port Adelaide started at zero and five. So to me, it looks like Richmond, Collingwood, and then that's about it, contending for a top eight spot as well. But but then you've got to dislodge someone and that's that's going to be difficult because the teams above them are all... Really good teams. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's a great summary, Al. Um, and you're right about everything we say with Brett Ratton and St Kilda. And, uh, and that, I, I think Collingwood are just having a terrific year for how they're, Craig McRae's trying to bed down the way he wants them playing, the personnel and everything like that. I think ultimately they probably fall just short, but it will be a great stepping stone for, for the years to come. Um, Al, can I... Can we quickly just discuss, I know I made mention of them, um, the, the West Coast Eagles. Absolutely, yeah. It, I think thoroughly deserves a good discussion because, you know, we spent last week listening to all the talk around North Melbourne and its failings, and yes, there was some upheaval, but it really put the microscope on North Melbourne's performances. To me, North Melbourne is where it is expected to be. I expect North Melbourne to lose to St Kilda by 10 goals. I don't expect North Melbourne to win too many games this season. But when I look at a side that has players Darling, Cripps, Kennedy, Gaff, Kelly, Shuey, Barris, Duggan, McGovern and Redden playing for them, and they get beaten by 100 points and they have a percentage that's not dissimilar to Fitzroy's percentage in its final season in the AFL lingy, that, that to me damning. says that there is a there is a horrible rot within the West Coast Eagles at the moment. And, it's and astonishingly I bad. I cannot cop out the well the the COVID impact has been so severe. Yeah, the player the, what we've been dealing with from a COVID perspective, and this is not to to lessen the impact of COVID in Western Australia and, and in Perth. And I hopefully you know it, it is awful over there right now. They're going through their massive 
wave of it like the Eastern States did last year. But then you look at Fremantle and you say Fremantle as a group, as a club and the way that they've performed have, are handling the same conditions as the West Coast Eagles. They are choosing certain behaviours off the field perhaps. They're staying united with what they're doing. They had a little lull in their form and they come back out and they beat the reigning premiers and the best team in the competition. So that makes it even more damning for me for West Coast. You read those names out, you then say that their percentage is on par with the Fitzroy team that was about to disappear from the league and they are dealing with the same COVID conditions as a team that just knocked off Melbourne and is having an incredible year and now starting to be spoken about as a premiership chance. Well, it's got to be, it's got to be more than all that. Like, it, it, huge questions need to be asked. They're, they're a massive club. They've got all the money in the world. So they'll be fine. They'll get through this and they'll handle everything and all that. But what on earth is going on out? Like that is, that performance on the weekend was insipid. Absolutely. Yeah. And with those names that you, you mentioned, Al, that makes it even more insipid. They're top quality AFL players. You can't play like that. The dogs were great, but, but they should not be beating the West Coast Eagles in Perth by a margin of over 100 points with the players that they have in the side. And I think if you look at their list profile, Lingy, the, the worry for West Coast is this is not a quick fix. This, this can't be rebuilt quickly with the age of their better players and then the number of young players they have coming through. They haven't had many early draft picks that they've been able to use in recent times. Yes, they're going to get some draft picks, but it's going to take some time for the players that they pick up to start having a, a real influence at AFL level. And they don't strike me as an overly patient club, the West Coast Eagles. They are one of the most powerful clubs, one of the most financial clubs in the competition, and a side that expects to be playing finals year on year. They don't look like they're going to be playing finals for several years, to my eye, the way things are going at the moment. So... And then the question is, Adam Simpson, is he the person that can carry through the rebuild? Does he have the want to do it, to go down that path? He's declared that he, he does want to do that. But what does a club do in scenarios like this? Not only playing badly, but are playing so far off what you're capable of. That, that reeks of something else, doesn't it? It does, yeah. No, no question. And Adam Simpson's a good coach. He's a premiership coach, so he, he can coach. It's something else. It, it's... You're right. When I look at those players, every team can have a bad game every now and then. Even uh, even the very best teams can have have a bad game, and just things go bad, and you might drop your bundle for a little bit, and it blows out, and it's a ten goal loss, and you think, "Oh, how how on earth did that happen?" But it's it's more than that with West Coast. It's nearly every single week of just ineptitude and lack of passion and I, I, I know there's a lot of footy noise out there and there's lots of different shows that show different clips of this and that but so often we just see here's a clip of the West Coast Eagles players and not wanting to run not wanting to defend standing there at a stoppage and just watching the play leave and thinking well I don't have to do it or I don't want to do it or whatever's going through their head I mean that's that's hard to flip around and that's a pride in your own performance. That's a pride in your own team's performance and think, I don't want to be known as somebody who, do, who does that. I, I, 
I and we have to be better than that. And that's the thing that I, I just don't understand, Al. How can that quality of players go out there and then with an attitude of, I don't care. It feels like when they're on the field, they don't care. That, that is so damning. And it does look that way. And I think that's what would be most alarming for Adam Simpson as he tries to get some sort of performance out of this team. They're playing Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval on Saturday. So that's the next assignment for the West Coast Eagles. But is he being hard enough on them? Have the West Coast Eagles players fed into the alibis, the, the reasoning, the excuses being made for them not playing well we've had to deal with COVID we've had injured players do you feel like they're accepting that that's their out that they're not prepared to roll their sleeves up and and have a good old crack to me the side that they put out on the park against the Bulldogs was a vastly better side than North Melbourne put out against St Kilda North Melbourne you could see was at least having a crack they were at least trying at least try to lay a tackle defend and, and do what they could within the limitations that that list has you're not seeing that from West Coast at the moment. No, you're not. Um, and if you're believing the narrative of COVID and the bus, drive them down to Fremantle's training and just let them sit and watch from the fence and see a team that is dealing with the exact same conditions in their city, in their state, that the Eagles are and see what their attitudes are to how they train, how they prepare, how they're turning up, the way that they're covering for each other, the way, the passion and encouragement and direction and everything, the care, the care that they have for each other. Let them go and see that and then see if they want to come up with these excuses and have this narrative continue that, oh, you know, it's all a bit hard. Ridiculous. Let's just uh, close up today with the Lance Franklin incident, Lingy. Um, Naked Eye on Friday night, I thought, gee, Lance is in trouble here. You can't be doing that. He's ultimately been offered a one-match ban. Uh, I was interested reading um, Mark Robinson's suggestion that that's inadequate when you compare that with the Marlon Pickett-Shepherd that resulted in a one-week penalty. One's a football action, one clearly isn't, yet both get a, a one-week ban. Was, was one appropriate for Franklin's actions, did you think? I, I thought a week, yeah. I, I, I read that same article and I get the point Robbo's trying to make. Um, I still thought it was, this is not to make an excuse for it, but a taller man trying to push hard in the chest and he was trying to make sure that Cochin felt the big smack in the chest. So it was a striking action. Um, and I reckon he, he got him high and didn't really mean to get him high. That's not to defend him and say he should be let off. Al. That's to say, I think a week is right. I don't think it wasn't a, punch for me it wasn't trying to smash him in the face with an open hand and really make it I think it was an action that you shouldn't have on a footy field uh, and I don't think the contact was massive um, but it deserved a week I, I, I don't I can't I can't jump to two weeks with that um, but I respectfully take on the point that Robbo's saying when footy action versus non-footy action but in this case, I sorry, I, I gotta say, any of these elbows that get thrown and, and clearly throwing it out in an action that would strike somebody in the head, um, I want them clamped down. They're non-football actions and they're raising the elbow in a way that you know is more than likely gonna get someone in the head. 
Um, so I'll, I'll support him in that type of argument is in the non-football action versus football action. I just reckon in this specific one, it's not the one that jumps it to two or three weeks for me. It's a one-weeker. Great chatting again, Lingy. You've got a big Friday night to look ahead to for your Cats against the Western Bulldogs. That's going to be a, a fairly defining match in this season, I reckon, live and free on Channel 7 on Friday night, starting a big round 12 of football. Make sure you download the podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe as well or review. And we'll chat again, Lingy, next Monday to wrap up a bumper round of football. Good on you, mate. Sounds great. Thanks, Al. The Al and Lingy Show. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.